the book of 1 Kings, chapter number 13. 1 Kings, chapter number 13. The Bible says, verse, begin in verse number 24, And when he was gone, a lion met him by the way and slew him. And his carcass was cast in the way, and the ass stood by it. The lion also stood by the carcass. And behold, men passed by and saw the carcass cast in the way and the lion standing by the carcass. And they came and they told it in the, in the city where the old prophet dwelt. And when the prophet that brought him back from the way heard thereof, he said, It is the man of God who was disobedient unto the word of the Lord. Therefore the Lord hath delivered him into the line which hath torn him and slain him according to the word of the Lord which he spake unto him. Benny, ask a blessing tonight. To fully understand what's happening here, you'd have to read all 26 verses of First Kings chapter number 13. Excuse me, what a wonderful time to get hiccups. <laughs> You'd have to read the entire chapter and I didn't want to spend a whole lot of time reading. You'd have to go all the way back to verse number 1 to fully get the idea of what's taking place here. But for sake of time, let me just hit the highlights and give you the context of the story. If you back up to verse number 1, you'll find uh, that Jeroboam is on the throne of Israel. Uh, Jeroboam was a man who served under King Solomon when Solomon was king. And Jeroboam was promised a great dynasty if he would follow God. But Jeroboam didn't want God. Jeroboam wasn't interested in God. Jeroboam embraced idol worship. And he was even carrying out the office of the priest in his idol worship. And he had led the entire nation, the entire northern kingdom of Israel into sin, into apostasy. So God raised up a young man to go preach against what Jeroboam was doing. And and God's command was very simple. God told him, he said, you go to Bethel, you go preach against that mess that's going on, you go, you don't stop, you don't eat, you don't drink. He said, you go preach and you go home. It was really very simple, wasn't it? So that young preacher, he goes to Bethel and he delivers the message that God sent him with. And if you read verse number 4, you'll find that Jeroboam was angry. And he went to put his hand on the young preacher, on the young prophet. And when he did, God withered Jeroboam's hand to the point where he couldn't even draw it back to himself. Now notice this. That young man that God sent down there had such a touch of God on his life that even the king could not touch him because he had God on him. If you'll read on, you'll find that Jeroboam, the same man who never feared God, by the way, the same man who never had any respect for a prophet. Thank you, honey. He asked this young preacher, this young prophet, he said, pray for me that God will restore my hand. So sure enough, uh, the young prophet prayed for him and his hand was restored. I mean, we're talking about a young preacher who had the power of God on him. the, The anointing of God was evident in this young man's life. So after all this had happened, after the young preacher had went, he had obeyed God, he had done what God had sent him to do. But if you'll read on, you'll find that an old prophet had heard the young preacher was in town and the old prophet sent his sons to go and bring him to him. And now remember, God had already told the young preacher, he said, you go preach, you go home. Period. So in an act of stupidity and in an act of disobedience, the young preacher went down to the old prophet's house instead of going straight home the way God had commanded him to do. And the young preacher ate his bread. He drank his water in direct defiance of what God had already told him to do. But here's the problem. What we just read is the problem. When the young man left the old prophet's house, we just read in our text that a lion met him on the road and killed him. Is what your Bible says. 
Now we're talking about a young man who had God's touch. He had power. He, 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 had, he had the favor of God on him. He prayed for the king and he was healed. He had an anointing. He, he, was, he had a divine calling. God called him to do something great. God had called him to do something mighty. But instead of being obedient, he ended up on the side of the road dead. Now here's the part that got my attention. Nowhere in scripture are we ever told this young preacher's name. He's nameless. Nowhere in Scripture is this young man's name ever recorded. You will not find it. He's a nameless blip. He is a nameless snippet of Scripture because he failed God. Now watch this and I'll get into the message. Because the young man failed God, God had to call another prophet does anybody know who the next prophet that God called was? God called a Tishbite by the name of Elijah. And Elijah was the greatest prophet that ever lived in the Old Testament. Now I just wonder, now this is just me, this is just Christology, this will get you in trouble. If that young man would have obeyed God and would have done as God said, if he would have went and preached and went back home and not messed up and not failed God, could it be that he could have done the great things that Elijah did? Could it have been him that got called out on a chariot in a whirlwind into heaven? Could it have been him? I mean, could it be that God could have and would have used this nameless young man in the same fashion that he used Elijah? Sure it is. It's totally possible. But that's not what happened. Now I've always believed this and you've heard it said many times. If you, don't, if you don't use what God gives you, He'll take it away and He'll give it to somebody who will. God had to call Elijah because of the failure of this young nameless preacher. He missed his chance. This young man missed his chance. He blew it. He dropped the ball. He failed God and because of that... He missed his opportunity to do something and to be something that he probably never even imagined, something he probably never even dreamed. Now he could have, and he should have, been used greatly of God. He could have been a man in the same uh, uh, caliber uh, as Elijah. He could have. He should have. He could have had that. But instead he died on the side of the road and we don't even know his name. God didn't even find him important enough to even tell us what his name was in your King James Bible. We don't even know his name. Why? Because he messed up. Because he failed God. Because he threw away his opportunity to do something great and to do something wonderful for God. So here's my thought tonight. Here's my thought. I want to preach on missing your window of opportunity. Missing your window of opportunity. I'm talking about missing your window of opportunity to do something for God. I'm talking about missing your window of opportunity to be something for God. Uh, Now we're living in days, Benny, and you know it as well as I do, where everybody wants to go to heaven, but nobody wants to serve God. Most church folk that that I deal with from here to the other side of the world in our travels are just saved enough to be miserable. I mean, you look out over crowds and you don't know if that crowd's got old-time religion, indigestion, or typhoid fever. I I, I mean, I'm being serious. 
Most church folk are just saved enough uh, to be miserable. And here's why. Everybody wants to be just saved enough to miss hell. But they never get involved. They never get in the fight. They never do anything. They never serve the church. They never try to reach people. They never try to serve others. They sit on the sidelines and they do absolutely nothing. Now, I I just want everybody to just take a second and just look around. Look around and just take a real good look. Do you realize the potential that's sitting in this building? I'm talking about potential, Faith. Honey, I sure am glad you walked in. If you want to see potential, look at the back row. That's, that, that's potential back there. She, she's going to be on the WNBA one of these days. I'm, I'm pretty convinced. But anyhow, do you realize the amount of potential that's in this building tonight? I, I mean, just thinking about it. I mean, look at these kids sitting around. Hey, the next great preacher could be sitting in this room tonight. The next great soul winner could be sitting in this room tonight. The next great foreign missionary could be sitting in this room tonight. Hey, let's not leave the girls out. The next great Christian influence could be sitting in this room tonight. And if we could see uh, what God sees, we would see that this auditorium is bursting at the seams with potential. But here's the sad part. Some of us are going to waste that potential. Some of us are never going to use our talent. So many of us are are never going to use the gifts that God gave us. Some of us are going to miss our window of opportunity to do something great for God and we're never going to do anything. We're never going to be anything. We're going to sit on the sidelines and we're going to be a spiritual failure, if that's what you want to call it. So i got a question. Why is it that so many of our people will miss the chance to do something for God. Why is it that so many of our people that we love will never get involved, they'll never get in the fight? I mean, why is it, sir, uh, that we try to teach and to reach and to, and to help so many mature and to move up and they never do, they never move up, they never grow, they never get excited, they never serve, they just let life pass them by and they never do anything for God. I'm going to give you real th- three, three reasons real quickly from this story why so many people miss their window of opportunity to do something for God. We'll go to the house. Number one, if you read verse 14, you'll find that the young prophet in our story was found sitting under a tree. Now you remember, what did God say? God, excuse me. God said, go down to Bethel, go preach, go home. Don't stop. Don't eat, don't drink, don't check into the Motel 6, don't stop at the truck stop and get a hamburger. He said, go home. Is everybody all right with that? He said, go preach and go home is what God said. But if you read verse 14, you'll find this young preacher, he's sitting under under a shade tree and and God didn't say stop under a shade tree and simply emanate on your way back home. No, sir. God said, you go, obey me, go home. But we find in verse 14, he stopped. That tells me he had already disobeyed God right then and failed God right then prior to what the old prophet did. Prior to the old prophet's interference in his life. You can blame the old prophet if you want to, but he'd already failed God in verse number 14. Had he not stopped Benny, 
The old prophet's sons would have never found him. The young preacher had already disregarded what God, disregarded, excuse me, what God had said, and he was sitting there doing whatever it was that he wanted to do in total disobedience to God. Here's what happened. He got careless. He got slack. He got sloppy in his work. So what's the first thing? What's the first reason? That so many people are never going to do anything. They're never going to be anything for God. Number one, I'll tell you what it is. It's losing concern. I'm talking about indifference. I'm talking about not caring if you obey or God, if you obey God or not. I'm talking about not caring if you live right or not. I'm talking about not caring if you read your Bible or not. I'm not. I'm talking about not caring if you pray or not. Hey, is everybody listening? I'm not. I'm talking about not caring if you go to church or not. Is everybody okay? Now. <laughs> I'm not real smart. Everybody go. (gasps) Not a friend in this crowd one. I used to be dumb enough, Tanya, to believe that everybody wanted to do something for Jesus. I mean, I used to think that everybody wanted to do their part. And everybody wanted to help carry the load and everybody wanted to do their part in the work of the church. But are you aware of the fact that in every church, maybe not every, but in most churches, do you understand that 75% of the average church members could care less about the church that they belong to and its ministries? Now, I'm not trying to be mean. I'm not trying to be negative. I'm just being honest. Three quarters of our people, many, don't care. I mean, really, let's just be honest about it, sir. When's the last time you went to the preacher and said, Preacher, is there anything I can do? Preacher, is there anything that I can do to help you carry the load? Uh, Because really, let's just be honest, ladies and gentlemen, there is something you can do. It may not be in the spotlight. It may not be a prestigious job if you want to look at it that way. But I promise you there's something that everybody can do. I can assure you of that. Uh, Here's the reality. Don't let it offend you. Uh, But church folk are lazy. They're careless. Here's the reality right here. And this is true in every church. I don't care where you go, Benny. There is always a core group of people. And if that church, whether it be this church, the church down the road, the church in the next state, the church uh, the church uh, uh, halfway across the country, if it wasn't for that core group of people, the preacher would have it all by himself. And, and, and thank God that we have a core group that we can depend on. I thank God that we've got them. But ladies and gentlemen, it's a shame and it's a disgrace that 10 or 12 have to carry the load for 70 and 80 people. It's sad. I mean, my God, what's wrong with people? Why isn't everybody involved? It's because they don't care. There's no concern. Now listen, I get it. I've got preacher friends. They want to do everything. That's just their thing, man. That, 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 I mean, uh, they, they've got a church that runs 80 and 100 people, but they choose to do everything. They, he wants to lead the choir. He wants to teach the Sunday school class. And, and you know what? That's his business. I, I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that. But I've also seen preachers who are worked absolutely to death. They've got to lead the choir, take up the offering. Uh, they got to teach the Sunday school. I mean, they got to give the announcements. they got to do all that. And then they got to turn right back around and preach. Well, my God, by the time he's done all that, he's going to be exhausted. The preacher cannot do it all by himself, ladies and gentlemen. 
Lord, I wish Dennis was here tonight. He'd be shouting. <laughs> I, I, I mean, I, I don't understand church folk. They're, they're lazy. They don't care. They're indifferent when it comes to the things of God. I, I mean, bless God wouldn't strike a lick for nothing. I, I mean, I'm talking about people, and I'm not being mean, but spiritually speaking, uh, they're as useless as screen doors on a submarine. Somebody help me right there. And it's because they don't care. They do not care. And I'm just stupid enough to think y'all to be involved. I'm just stupid enough to think y'all to try to do something for God. I I mean, let's just be, let's just be realistic, honey, for a minute. I I mean, do you think that we load up sound equipment and drive hours at a time and go sing just because we like to hear our heads roar? I mean, I like our singing just as much as anybody else does. Y'all will get that one tomorrow. But I'm not going, I, I'm not going a uh, hundred miles away to sing just because I like to hear my head roar. It's because we want to do something for the Lord. Uh, you know, and you, when you get into ministry, everybody wants to teach you, treat you like Jim and Tammy Faye Baker, you know. Oh, you want to go sing for the money? Listen, try it sometime. If you think, listen, if you think anybody that's out there now that, that, that's not charging thousands and thousands of dollars is making any money, you just need to go try it sometime. It's because we want to do something for the Lord. But here's the problem. Enthusiasm among most church folks is dead. It's gone. Enthusiasm's out. I, I, I remember, it's kind of funny, I, talking about enthusiasm. I remember uh, I heard a preacher tell one time in a revival meeting, he said uh, when he first got saved, he was a junkie. And he said, I, I still have crazy when God saved me. He said, but God changed me in such a way. He said, I was just excited, man. He said, I was just, I was just full of joy all the time. And he said, anything that my pastor said, I'd shout him on. I, I, I mean, he, he, it didn't matter. I mean, he said every time my pastor opened his mouth, I, I'd just, I'd hoop and holler and I'd shout and I'd shout him on just because I was, I was excited, man. God had changed my life. Well, one day his preacher got up and he said, pray for Miss Jones. Her husband died this morning. He said, I, before I even listened to what he said, I jumped up and said, Woo, glory to God, preacher! Now, I'm not saying you ought to shout over funeral announcements. But I'm just trying to illustrate a little enthusiasm. I mean, my God. I'm trying to think of a nice way to say this. If you don't want to be here, don't be here. I mean, I, I, I'd, rather, I, I'd, I'd rather have uh, 20 or 30 that wanted to be there than 150 that didn't want to be there, Benny. I mean, my God, if you're that miserable, stay at the house. I mean, if that's what you think of Jesus, and that's what you think about the bride of Christ, then stay at home. I don't mean to be unkind, but I mean, I'm just being realistic. But indifference, carelessness is running rampant. I mean, it's spreading like wildfire. Nobody cares about the church anymore. Nobody cares about the things of God anymore. And people are content. Is everybody listening? People are content to just go through the motions. Now, I understand this. I understand that not everybody who says they're saved is really saved. I know that. I'm not stupid. But I'm convinced that even saved people can get to a place where they just don't care like they used to. 
I, I believe that. I, I think it's totally possible. I mean, I'm not talking about lost people. I, I mean, lost people will never do anything for God anyway. But the trouble with the vast majority of our people is that they're saved enough to miss hell and that's all they're interested in. That's it. Hey, I'm saved. My wife's saved. The kids are saved. Let the rest of the world go to hell. Indifference. Carelessness. No concern. And I submit to you tonight, ladies and gentlemen, that carelessness is going to cause us to miss our chance to do something great for God. We're going to let the window of opportunity pass us by. Number two, real quickly. Not only will losing concern cause you to miss your window of opportunity to do something great for God, but second of all, what about this? What about leaning towards carnality? Leaning towards carnality. What do you mean by that, preacher? Well, let me tell you what I mean. I'm talking about satisfaction of the flesh. I'm talking about giving in to what the flesh craves and what the flesh wants. Let me give you something to think about. God told this young man, Benny, he said, you go down there and you preach and go home. And God told him to do it without drinking, without eating. God said, you fast the whole time you're gone, you can eat when you get home. We got food at home. Any mama's ever said that? We got food at home. But here comes an old prophet. By the way, that old prophet had already failed God, probably. I mean, if he hadn't failed God, then why didn't God send him down to Bethel? He, he said, I'm a prophet. And he said, an angel appeared to me and, and told me to tell you that it's alright for you to come down to my house and have supper with me. A direct defiance to what God had already commanded him. And the old prophet, he said, oh, God's gave me a new revelation. He's gave me a new word. And this is, this is what God really meant when he said that, hello. This is what God really meant when he gave you uh, that, th- those orders. Uh, I mean, does anybody know where I'm going with this? Uh, I mean, we live in days where everybody's a Bible scholar. Everybody wants to reinterpret what God's already said. Uh, now, I've got a lot of patience for a whole lot of things, uh, but I don't have a whole lot of patience with a Bible corrector. I just, don't have, I just don't have patience with that. Me and Christians was sitting, uh, sitting eating supper tonight and, and I was uh, flipping through the Facebook and this little video came up and the first thing that this... Uh, uh, I, I don't even know what you'd call him. The, the first thing that he said was that drag, like drag queens, it was holy. Now I'm just going to tell you something, mister. That dude ought to go to town, hire a lawyer, and sue his brain for non-supports, what he ought to do. Isn't that the stupidest thing you've ever heard in your whole life? But he said that, and the trouble was, he meant it. He was serious about it. I mean, I, you know, some things you shouldn't joke about, but he wasn't joking. He was serious. He said that drag was holy. And I've got a whole lot of patience for a whole lot of things, but I don't have a whole lot of patience. When people start putting words in God's mouth. I don't have a whole, whole lot of patience for that. Uh, uh, but the reason that people want to reinterpret the book and the very reason that people want to change the meaning of the things that God's already said is because they're in love with the carnal. They're in love with self. They're in love with flesh. Now here's the problem with a whole lot of church folk. They'll take somebody else's word for something before they'll take God's word for something any day of the week. Now that's exactly what happened in our story. That old preacher said, Oh, God didn't mean that. Let me tell you what God really meant when He said that. 
He said, come on down to my house and have supper. God sent me a new revelation. He sent me a new translation. Let me tell you what God really said. Now, isn't it a shame that that old prophet was so sorry and low down that he told a lie to ruin somebody else's life? Because his life was already in shambles and was ruined. He wasn't content to be the only one that failed God. No, sir. He wanted to ruin that young preacher's life as well. Now, when I was in school, they used to try and educate us on this thing called peer pressure. Now, I thought that was something that you'd have to deal with as a kid. And when you grew grew up, you wouldn't have to deal with it or think about it anymore. Uh, But I found out in my adult life that peer pressure is more relevant to adults than it is to children. By the way, you better be real careful about the company you keep because your friends will eventually become a reflection of who you are and what your character is. Well, anyhow, that, that don't have nothing to do with nothing. I was just enjoying it. So in disobedience... That young preacher went down and he ate with the old prophet. He forsook the spiritual for the carnal and he had to pay for it. Now we live in a time, it's sad to say, the world's so churchy and the church is so worldly. It's getting kind of hard to tell the two crowds apart. I mean, we've traded convictions for convenience. We've traded integrity for inclusion. We've traded standards for stupidity. Is everybody listening? We've traded power for political correctness. We've traded the sanctuary, this holy place, this separated place for a social club. Now I'm just going to tell you why so many people are leaving Bible-believing churches and they're going to the contemporary movement. It's because the contemporary movement loves to flatter and to feed the flesh. I mean, I'm talking about no preaching, no power, uh, dim lights, rock music, a bunch of garbage... I mean, I, I mean, not a thimble full of truth. I mean, nothing. I mean, no standards, no convictions. But here's the problem. The flesh loves that stuff. People are carnal. People are carnal. I shared a video on Facebook the other day. Now, I don't agree with his doctrine. I don't agree with, that. I don't agree with everything that he ever said. But did anybody see the video I put up the other day of Joel Osteen's daddy? Did y'all see that? He was a preacher now. Now, I don't agree with everything that he ever said. Now, I don't agree with his doctrine. But he was a preacher. Not a speaker that wants to sell his next book. He was a preacher. And yet their church now runs multiple untold thousands. I don't know what their membership is. I did read somewhere that their average offering on Sunday was over a million dollars. Lord, if we took a million dollars here on Sunday morning, Dennis would have have a massive coronary, wouldn't he? But he never preaches. He's nothing like his daddy. There's not a thimble full of Bible in what he says. I mean, my God, let's just be honest. He just gets up there and grins and talks for a few minutes. And that's it. And the church is full to overflowing. No power. No standards. No convictions. No preaching. But that's what people are flocking to. I mean, I never dreamed that I'd see the day where, uh, where so many uh, fundamental issues are being brought out for debate. I mean, I'm not talking about saved people debating with lost people. I- I'm talking about uh, church folk debating with other church folk. Right now, 
I got an update on this the other day from one of the gals in probation. Right now, the United Methodist Church in 2024 is going to vote to split over the issue of ordaining homosexuals. Now, I'm not knocking United Methodists. I know some wonderful people who love God who go to United Methodist churches. I'm not knocking Methodists. And now I'm not talking about a small sect either. I'm not talking about some small fringe denomination. I'm talking about a denomination that has over 6 million members. 6 million members. Is everybody okay? I said 6 million members. And they're splitting right down the middle because some of them believe the Bible and some of them don't. And they want to ordain homosexuals and sodomites into the ministry. Matter of fact, that fringe that wants to split because they want to ordain homosexuals, they don't believe that the Bible is verbally inspired either, by the way. Now, who would have ever dreamed? Who would have ever imagined that that would be an issue in a major denomination, in a major evangelical movement? Who could have ever imagined that that would be something that we would even hear about? Here's why that's come into play. It's because the church crowd. It's not the lost people's fault. It's not even the devil's fault. Is everybody okay? It's because the church crowd started to lean towards carnality. They started to shift towards the worldly. And the church crowd got interested in flesh. And they got interested in a number and being popular. And they lost interest in what thus saith the Lord. And I'm just going to tell you tonight, ladies and gentlemen, and I don't think I have to tell you, God's never been pleased with a sodomite being ordained into the ministry. Not ever. He never will be. And He never has been. God ain't never called a homosexual to the ministry. Say amen right there. By the way, God ain't never called a woman to the ministry either. Somebody help me right there. God has never, will never, has never called a woman to preach ever. And I just believe, and I, again, I'm not knocking them. I'm not knocking them. But the shift started when they started ordaining women, Benny. We want to be popular. We, we want to do the end thing. Hey, I mean, it's all right. It's preaching time. Is everybody okay? I've got to move on. Carnality. I'm talking about flesh. They've given way to the flesh. But here it is, and I'm moving on. They'll never accomplish anything for God because of carnality. They'll never do anything that amounts to anything for the glory of God because they don't have any standards, they don't have any convictions, they don't know anything about holiness, they don't know anything about separation, they don't care, they're carnal, they want to feed the flesh. And I submit to you tonight, ladies and gentlemen, there's going to be a whole lot of folks who never do anything for God because they love flesh. They love carnality. Number three, and i got to close, excuse me. I've told you about losing concern. I've told you about leaning towards carnality. But what about this? What about listening to compromise? What do you mean, preacher? I'm talking about listening to compromise. I'm talking about changing. I'm talking about, I'm talking about compromise. Hey, now we used to preach against compromise, Daniel. We used to preach against compromise hard. But we've just about quit, we've just about quit preaching on it because most of our people's guilty of it. Here's what happened. The young, the, the young prophet went 
and preached. He was doing well. He was doing what God said to do. But all of a sudden, somebody else came along and said, Hey, God sent me down here to tell you something. He told me to tell you that it was all right that if you did, if you did something other than what He told you to do. And I've never seen a time where church folk are just so easily persuaded. I, I, I mean, so many of our people are given to compromise, man. It's a slippery slope. It's a gradual descent. But here's the problem. Compromise will eventually lead you into full-blown apostasy. I'm talking about departing from the faith. It will lead you into full-blown apostasy. Compromise is going to slowly and surely and certainly lead you completely away from God eventually. I can assure you of that, dear friend. Here's what the word compromise means. Everybody, are y'all asleep? Y'all okay? Here's what compromise means. Compromise means to accept standards. Everybody listening? To accept standards that are lower than what is desirable. It means to give in to somebody else. In business, this is what it means in business. In business, when two businesses compromise on something, it means that neither side really got what they wanted out of the agreement. Now, can I just tell you, ladies and gentlemen, not that compromise is the silent killer of the New Testament church. Compromise being given to change is killing the New Testament church. Here's what the Bible said about it. Proverbs 24, 21. Don't turn there. Go home. Read your Bible. Proverbs 24, 21 says, Meddle not with them. Meddle not with them. That means don't fool with them. God said, uh-uh. Meddle not with them that are given to change. Now, I know a whole lot of folks who used to have standards. And they used to have, they used to have convictions, man. They used to be straight as an arrow. They used to believe the Bible. But they compromised in one area of their life. They said, oh, the Bible, the Bible didn't really mean that when it said that in that one area in their life. But here's the problem. It's a slippery slope. It's a gradual decline. That area, that compromise in that area led to a compromise in another area. And then it led to a compromise in another area. And then it led to a compromise in another area. And then another. And then another. And then another. And then all of a sudden they're backslid. They're out of the will of God and they're liberal as a goat because of one compromise. It all started with one time that they decided that God didn't say what He meant and meant what He said. I'm talking about changing. I'm talking about trading convictions for convenience. Hey, some of us are morally fluid. Don't get mad at me, but some of us are morally fluid. We've got morals when we're with the church crowd, but we've got a different set of morals when we're running with the worldly crowd. Somebody help me right there. Now let me help you. If that's you, if you've got one set of standards for when you're with the church crowd and you've got another set of standards for when you're with your worldly friends, can I just tell you tonight, don't get offended, but you're a hypocrite. You are a hypocrite. Now God's, not look, God's looking for people. Many who are consistent. God's not interested in that inconsistent crowd. God's not interested in that crowd that wants to hoop and holler and shout on Sunday but then cuss a blue streak on Monday. God's not interested in that crowd. God's not interested in somebody who wants to be on the church platform on Sunday morning and in a dance hall on Saturday night. No, sir. No way. God's not interested in that mess. Now, we've all got weak areas and we've all got places that we're weak in. Don't judge me. Pray for me. 
Don't you judge me, bless God, I judge back. I've got a hot temper. That's my weak area. Don't you say a word, honey, I'll throw a songbook at you. I know that about myself, Teresa. I know it. I know that about myself. I mean, I can go from zero to 60 in about half of a tenth of a second. I mean, let me put it to you this way. I get mad better than anybody I know. I I told a crowd one time, and they thought I was being serious. I was just just being funny. I said, anger's my spiritual gift because I'm good at it. I'm gifted with the gift of anger. I'm just good at it. I told you know I'm telling the truth. Benny, you can laugh if you want to, but you know I'm telling the truth. I'm telling on myself. I didn't say it was right. I'm just saying that it's the truth. I told a crowd the other night, Benny, I said, you just soon play checkers on the backside of a leopard as to fool with me. Leave me alone. I'm, I'm hot-tempered. I told you it wasn't right. I know it's not right. Don't judge me. Pray for me. I need the prayer. You need the practice. So bring it on, bring it on, bring it on. Well, I tell you the truth. Thank God I've got a wife who's level-headed. Thank God I've got a woman who tries to keep me out of trouble. I I mean, there's been many a times that that she's had to talk me out of something, uh, saying something or doing something, you know, stupid while I was mad. Bless her heart, she tries her best, Tanya, to help me preserve my testimony. I mean, she tries. She really does. I mean, you fellas back me up on this. I mean, y'all are built and made out of the same stuff that I am. Help me with this. When you're good and fighting mad, Richard Robinson... Your testimony's the last thing on your mind, ain't it? I mean, you fellas help me on this. When you're mad, there ain't much sense talking, is there, Philip? I mean, I mean, I know how it is with us fellas, buddy. When we get good and fighting mad, I mean, we feel like there's only ten bad dudes in McDowell County and nine of them call us sir. Y'all know what I'm talking about? And your testimony is the last thing on your mind, man. I mean, I'm not saying that's right. And, <laughs> and when you're good and mad and you want to beat the brakes off of somebody, you're not thinking about God, the church, and the Bible, are you? Now, there's been many a time that I wanted to backslide for 15 minutes and just beat the absolute devil out of somebody. Somebody help me right there. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Are, are y'all more spiritual than I am or What? I mean, there's been many a times. Bobby, if nobody else helps me, help me. You just want to backslide for 15 minutes and just beat the, I mean, beat the devil out of somebody, don't you? I, but, but I mean, really, let's just think about it. What am I going to do? Beat somebody half to death with a baseball bat and then stand over them and read the Bible? I mean, what am I going to do? Send them to the hospital in an EMS and while they're loading them up, stick a track in their pocket. Come on now, what am I going to do? But in that moment of anger, it's my weak area. I didn't say it was right. I didn't say it was right, okay? Did everybody hear that part? I didn't say it was right. I'm just saying it's the truth. In that moment of rage and in that moment of anger because I'm in my flesh, my character's changed. And I'm willing to compromise my testimony 
because I want to fight. But here's my point, and i got to move on. I really, when I'm calm and in my right mind, I really don't want to have a poor testimony because I don't have the ability to control my temper. I mean, I don't want to give the devil that foothold in my life. I, I mean, the Bible says that the pastor shouldn't be a brawler. I'm not a pastor, bless God. I'll beat the devil out of you. It's hard. You men help me. It's, it's hard. It's very hard. It's so hard. I mean, I'm trying. I'm working on it. I said to pray for me, didn't I? But I don't want to compromise who I am and what I am because I want to fly mad. Because I want to go off the handle. Because I want to go off half-cocked. Now there's a whole lot of other examples that I could give. Some of our people have compromised their testimony for a social drink. Some of our, some of our people have compromised their testimony for money. Some of our people, God help us, have compromised their testimony for ungodly sexual activity. And the list goes on and on and on. Hey, the devil knows what your weak spot is, lady. The devil knows what your weak spot is, sir. He knows what your weakness is. And if you don't think that the devil won't hit you in your weak spot, you've got another thing coming, friend. When we back off from what we know the Bible says, and when we know what the right thing is, and we do anything less, anything less than what the right thing is, when we settle for what's convenient instead of what's correct, that's compromise, ladies and gentlemen. And by the way, Compromise doesn't always sound that bad. But it's still disobedience to God. I mean, it's disobedience to God any way you cut it. Now, I don't know, about how, I don't know how it was at your house, but when I was a kid, if I didn't obey every single part of my parents' instructions, I might as well not have obeyed any part of it, right? If I left out one thing that Mama told me to do, I just as well not done anything she told me to do. Now, I don't know how your mama was and how your daddy was, but that's how it was at my house. And it's the same with God, ladies and gentlemen. God expects total obedience. Not partial obedience. Here's why. Partial obedience is still disobedience. It's not. Now, Lord, if I'll do this, I'll do that. God doesn't haggle. He doesn't bargain. He doesn't barter. He doesn't trade favors. It's either total obedience or it's disobedience, period. That's what happened in our story, wasn't it? The young man obeyed God partially. But because he didn't follow through, because he didn't obey God totally, he had to pay for it. And here's the sad part, he had to pay for it with his life. Now you can go ahead, you can... Forsake your convictions. You can sell your standards for popularity and for convenience. Uh, But let me just tell you what I believe I'd do. I don't believe I'd compromise my testimony. I don't believe I'd compromise my convictions. I believe I'd stick with the stuff. Uh, I mean, sometimes, and I'm not being unkind when I say this, sometimes uh, we get so wrapped up with being old-timey and old-fashioned that we forget to be holy. I mean, because just because somebody said it was right doesn't mean it is right. I mean, what does the Bible really say about an issue? I mean, let's just be, let, let's, let's just, just get down to brass tacks. What does the Bible really say about an issue? I don't want to get so wrapped up in being one thing that I don't forget, that, that I, I forsake to be holy, to be separated. 
I don't want to get so wrapped up in something that's not necessarily wrong. I, I, I mean, <laughs> think about Mary and Martha. Martha was washing dishes and she is frying hamburgers and she is throwing French fries in the Crisco, frying, frying the French fries up, trying to take care of the Lord and His disciples. That's in the Chris Heiss translation, by the way. And Mary was sitting at Jesus' feet. There wasn't a thing wrong with what Martha was doing. She was doing... She, hey, she wasn't doing anything wrong. She wasn't doing anything sinful. Is everybody okay? But when she came out to rebuke her sister for not helping her, what did Jesus say? He said, Mary chose the better part. He didn't say, Martha, you're in the wrong. He said, Mary chose the better thing. And we can get tied up in doing a whole lot of things that aren't necessarily wrong and aren't necessarily sinful and still not choose the best thing, the godly thing, the holy thing. But it's still disobedience. It's still compromise and we'll pay for it every single time. Let's stand with our heads bowed. Here's the, here's the invitation and I'm finished. Now I don't know about you. But I want to be used of God. I don't want to be stupid. I don't want to be sloppy. I don't want to be careless. I want to seize every opportunity that I can to try and do something for the Lord. What about you tonight? I mean, let's just be honest. There's nobody here but us. Are you going to be careless? Are you going to be worldly and carnal? Are you going to trade uh, the will of God for convenience? Or do you want to do something great for God? Are you going to serve the Lord with all your heart? Or are you just going to serve Him part time? What are you going to do? I mean, uh, uh, let's just think about it. Let me ask you a question. Is there an area in your life that you've compromised in? I think we'd all have to confess that we've all compromised in something from time to time. Now I'm just trying to tell you. I'm just trying to warn you. Don't pass up your opportunity to do something great. For God, Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for this time together in the house of God. Lord, I pray something that was said, something that was done was a help to your people. In Jesus' name, amen. Benny, you want to dismiss or you want me to dismiss?